The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. You can visit us on the Facebook page of Boomer Generation Radio. And if you want to contact us, uh, email us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com. And we want to remind you, um, for those of you who are listening and want podcasts and want to listen to the show or hear about it later on, all the podcasts of the shows are available on our website, www.jewishsacredaging.com. You just go down there, go to the website, and scroll down to the podcast section, and you'll find all the podcasts of the um, Boomer Generation Radio Show. We want to welcome you. I wish you, if it's not too late, even though it's the 5th of January, a happy new year. We have uh, lots to talk about today. With two very interesting and exciting guests, uh, Barbara Harrison and Joy Weinberg in our second segment, really a a show devoted to aspects of health, probably very, very uh, timely as uh, many people have made New Year's resolutions, dealing with health and exercise and wellness. We're going to be coming right back to our first guest, Barbara Harrison, uh, right after this word from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Good day. Welcome again to our first segment of Boomer Generation Radio uh, here on WWDB AM 860. And it is our pleasure to welcome Dr. Barbara Harrison, Associate Professor of Nursing at Westchester University here in Pennsylvania. Dr. Harrison, are you there? I am here. Hi. Hi. It's good good to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. I I hope you're someplace warm and toasty. It's it's so cold today. Thank you. I'm here at the Kendall facility at uh, Kennett Square. Well, so welcome. So we want to we want to start as I mentioned uh, in the lead in the um, many people have made New Year's resolutions around health and wellness and exercise and nutrition and as it worked out today's show both you and our second guest uh, really are devoting a lot of their time to exploring aspects of this especially for boomers and older adults. So. Um, Let's talk about this whole surge of uh, interest in wellness and uh, healthy aging and exercise. You're a professor of nursing. What's your linkage between what you're doing professionally and this whole area of uh, exercise, healthy aging, and wellness? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, uh, I've had a strong background in... um, in aging um, in uh, for the past 30 years but my specialty is really in cognitive and memory function so aside from my uh, teaching and at Westchester I also do 
uh, clinical work and research in the area of Alzheimer's and dementia. So I'm working one day a week for the Swank Memory Center in Wilmington as part of my um, as part of my nursing practice and. Um, my background prior to that was I completed my PhD at the University of Michigan and my dissertation and all my research work was there through the Alzheimer's Research Center. So that was uh, my background in this. Um, but today's topic is on exercise and there is growing studies that show that physical exercise actually targets a lot of the modifiable risk factors for cognitive decline, what a lot of us call like memory issues or thinking issues, and that exercise probably actually has some neuro, what we call neuroprotective effects people. So we have this explosion over the holidays of uh, people running out buying Fitbits so that they can uh, track how many steps they're taking back and forth to the refrigerator uh, and whatever. And and so this is it seems and I'm going to I'm going to hazard a guess. Uh, I have no scientific basis for this. It'll just just anecdotal and my own as I travel around the country. That that baby boomers seem to be a leading um, demographic as, as to the purchases of these issues, these phenomenon, this phenomenon, and also the interest in exercise and health. Am I off base totally? No, no, I think you're right on target. And and I'll have to admit that I'm part of that baby boom generation. I'm I'm still at the very end of it, but Don't be hate don't I, hate to admit it, not at all. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think that this is a generation that has always been very proactive, right? This mm-hmm. is a group of, you know, of a, a whole cohort of our population who has really been focused on nutrition and exercise. And so not only does it guide sort of our personal habits and our interest in understanding why things happen, mm-hmm. but luckily it's also guiding some of our research and, and drug development that people are really interested in this, but also just the, the demographics of the baby boom generation itself is so huge that when the National Institute of Health looks at the the estimated number of people that will be 80, 85, and 90 in the next 10 and 20 years, they realize that they have to put more more efforts. And sometimes that means more money, but, you know, more efforts into into this area. So the, so as, as, as I look around the gym and, and read articles in the newspaper and magazines, and you alluded to this, what are the keys to longevity – is pumping iron, getting on that exercise bike, on that treadmill, and just moving. Get that body moving. You're, you seem to. This is this is part of your your research. Why is this so? And and talk to us a little bit about the scientific proof or, uh, and of of this issue. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll try and keep this simple. But there's actually both animal studies. All right, where they can actually open up the animal brain and look at it after exercise, as well as human studies that support the role of physical exercise in sort of supporting and, and helping your brain. 
So whether that's metabolically, and I'll give you a good example, we know that exercise lowers, helps people lower their blood sugars, improve their risk for diabetes, and anything that reduces that kind of risk also helps your brain. The same is true for hypertension. They actually show that people, who, whether people are exercising to lower their hypertension or whether they're taking medications or both, anything that we do to improve our hypertension and keep those numbers around 120 over 80, that also helps to improve brain health. Would they, people have fewer, uh, most of the studies in this area look at either volume loss, which is just, you know, the volume of the number of neurons, brain cells that we have, but many studies now also use what's called functional imaging, and some of this they can do right after exercise. And functional imaging are those pictures you see of the brain with mm -hmm. all different colors, you know, the blues, yellows, and orange. And they show not just the volume of your brain, right, but that's showing how well your brain is working, what areas are lighting up, and, and lighting up intensely, meaning you're working quickly, you're sort of in what they call the, the flow. Um, other times when they see the, the colors diminish, we know that, well, the, the structurally, meaning the, the neurons are still there, but they're not processing as quickly. And I think most of us can kind of relate to that in terms of, some, we know that some days we're thinking faster and smoother and, and the connections are occurring than other days. So the in most days the so the, the, these imagery thing that's the that's the pictures that when we get done with the, our uh, workout and we you know attach these electrodes the brain lights yeah. up and that that's good right right so um, uh, let me ask so you the, the go brain ahead. lights up actually um, uh, not to get too much into the brain science but. One of the first symptoms that most people like start to notice sometimes is what's called executive function. Executive function is planning out your day, you've got multiple priorities, you've got to sort and shift, and something called selective attention, meaning you've got to divide your attention. Some people think of it as multitasking. And that's actually one of the first sort of thinking, it's not a memory process, but a thinking process that starts to decline with aging, but we all, but so the, the studies show that exercise actually helps us improve that kind of multitasking or, or um, shifting of priorities and planning. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've read a lot of studies about this and they're telling me, many of them, um, 30 minutes a day of exercise and that's that's the minimum daily requirement, so to speak. Uh, yes, no, more, less. The, well, it depends on whose guidelines you want to use. I think the American, uh, so the Alzheimer's Association generally uses the American College of Sports Medicine guidelines, mm -hmm. which say 30 minutes five times per week. Um, I think I think it's great to do it uh, seven days a week, but somewhere but but definitely the thirty minutes a day, and then whether it's five to seven times a day or, or per week. A week, a week, and are we yeah. talking about now? Look, are we talking about 
a four-minute mile, or are we talking about uh, you know a, a three-minute, three miles per hour on the treadmill or the bike, or or does it really vary from person to person? Well, first of all, it varies from person to person because people have individual cardiovascular fitness profiles based on age and conditions and medications. I, I think the good news is <clears throat> there are studies of everything from that quick pace on a treadmill or a bike to just long daily walks. Mm -hmm. But all of them, no matter the intensity of the exercise, all of them show some level of benefit. What about that said most of the studies show that again the more if you if your body can accommodate vigorous exercise mm -hmm. and again the um, we work with some of the sports medicine um, faculty at Westchester and of course they have very sophisticated ways for measuring that but one of the ways that they we use in in everyday life is that people should be able to walk, bike, at a level where they can still have a short conversation, yes, I need some water, or thank you for the towel. Um, and so even if people can exercise at that kind of moderate level, that's great. But if not that, even just daily walking is shown to improve uh, circulation, anything that improves circulation, we know also improves brain function. Barbara, what about weight training? I, I, I've seen some other additional discussions and articles about not only the cardiovascular, but if, if you can do uh, mix in some free weights and, and or resistance training with weights, that's also very, very good. Yes, I, I, you're right. There are, I'm not as well versed in the resistance, what's called resistance training, but there are a number of studies showing that resistance training, and again, I, they generally use 20 to 30 minutes per day that also will help improve uh, cognitive function. We're speaking with Barbara Harrison, Associate Professor of Nursing at Westchester University here in the greater Philadelphia area, Westchester University of Pennsylvania, about issues of exercise and nutrition, and we're going to get into some other issues dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's and associated with this issue right after this word from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio today with uh, Barbara Harrison, Associate Professor of Nursing at Westchester University here in Greater Philadelphia, Westchester University of Pennsylvania. And you're listening to Boomer Generation Radio on WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And again, we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Barbara, is it ever too late to start an exercise program? Oh, I'm glad you asked that. It's never too late to start an exercise program. Um, um, no. So the simple answer to that is no, it's never too late. Um, 
some people may want to check with their primary care provider or mm-hmm. cardiologist to make sure that they're they're healthy enough to do the maybe more vigorous activity. Anything that would make you short of breath, you might want to make sure that your heart and your lung function is you know is sufficient for that. Um, so. Richard, I'm glad we took a commercial break because it gave me a few minutes to pull up some of the work. You were asking me about resistance exercise. Right. And um, there are several studies that look at resistance training only. There was a 24-week study done on it, another one that looked at it over 12 months. And they do show improvement in um, executive function. And again, that the issue of what are we paying attention to and how are we switching our attention. Um, so there are some studies on that, just not as many as the aerobic. Let me ask you a question because uh, there's a, an increasing amount of concern, things being written, and, st- and awareness of issues regarding disability. Uh-huh. And individuals who are dealing with various types of challenges, uh, physical challenges. Could you just talk to us a little bit about the, how one, you know, we're, we're assuming everybody's, you know, running around healthy and, you know, like out of the commercials. But what about <laughs> exercise programs designed for individuals who are dealing with various types of disabilities? That's not a reason to, to not do this. It, uh, am I, is that correct? Or how, how do we handle this? How do you deal with this? Um, well, I can answer this several ways, but I will say that last in 2015 at Westchester, I was working with sports medicine and kinesiology, and we were doing a fall prevention program at some of the Chester County Senior Centers. And while its goal was to prevent falls, we know that one of the ways to do that is exercise. And, you know, our average age in that group was mid-80s. Uh, 80% of our people had hypertension and, 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 and others had disabilities. Um, and so I think it's, um, I think that regardless of people's disabilities, there are, um, there are programs that can be, uh, that can either be designed or, or started. And whether that is, you know, whether that is supervised at the start with uh, uh, sports medicine or whether it's starting out in a pool program uh, if if it's a joint-related issue. But there are a lot of uh, disability uh, exercise programs, and that's actually lifespan. I mean, that's across the lifespan um, I don't know a lot about it, but Westchester also has a disability exercise program for, like, for example, for children that are in wheelchairs. Wow. So there are lots of exercise programs available. The, you mentioned just something in, in passing the, about the pool. The uh, water aerobics and, and exercising in the water, especially for people, I, I guess, recovering from surgeries or, or, or in various types of disability, that's a... That's a really good thing, isn't it? I've seen people do that, and they really swear by it. That is, because it reduces the friction on the, on the large joints, like the knees and the hips. Right. All right. Knees and hips often, by the time we're in our 70s and 80s, have, um, have osteoarthritis, um, which can be painful 
um, and then exercising or putting additional pressure on it can aggravate that. Um, so pool pool programs, pool walking, pool um, swimming, um, all of those are good. Um, although if you're fresh from a hip replacement or some sort of joint replacement, you um, you have to wait for your surgeon to say that that's right, okay right. before you get into a pool with your incision. Um, I would imagine that yeah. any any person just starting out and really wants to be serious about this really should, not only should consult as you said with their primary care physician but also maybe even consider doing something with a trainer or somebody who really can knows knows what they're doing so somebody doesn't rush in and decide to conquer the world and then hurt themselves so i imagine that's a real issue for some people right right that's so it's not just the cardio respiratory issues that need to be looked at but that uh, somebody in exercise science and kinesiology would, would take a more thorough evaluation, um, looking at um, what is the current range of motion, what's your current degree of flexion, what is there any amount of pain during an active range of motion. And, you know, range of motion just means moving your joint as fully as possible but it's not uncommon for people to experience hip or knee pain at certain um, at the highest angle at which they can move it. Right. So, uh, Barbara, before we start running out of time on this segment, let me ask you because uh, we alluded to it at the beginning of this segment: Can exercise uh, impact the delay of or prevent? dementia or Alzheimer's? Well, that's a good question, Richard. Um, Studies at this point show that it probably is delaying Alzheimer's or dementia. There are no studies that show it can totally prevent it. Mm-hmm. But nor do the medications that we have for Alzheimer's at this point. It slows down a process that may be occurring and that currently we mostly know this through research on amyloid plaques that are done. It's not a common sort of primary care. But we know that exercise um, may delay any Uh, cognitive or memory losses to a certain extent. Let me say that there are still or sometimes some genetic reasons that people develop dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's, some people for genetic reasons develop Parkinson's. And so I don't want someone to think that, oh, if I just exercise enough, I won't get, I won't get this disease. Um, The movie that many people saw called Still Alice was an illustration of somebody who was a runner and who had an active and healthy lifestyle and was doing all the things that you would think are correct and yet due to for genetic reasons she developed Alzheimer's in her 50s. Right. So I think that in general exercise can but there are always individual factors to be evaluated into that holistic picture. So let me ask you one other, again, allied um, to this, because I, I've, 
I don't pretend to be an expert in any of this, but I've read some stuff that regular exercise is also good for dealing with depression. In your experience, yes. is that correct? Yes. Yes. In what way? Regular exercise is also good to reduce depression. Actually, a number of studies have shown that at the six-month mark, don't let's not look at this at the first month or the second month, but if you look at exercise and compare it to some of the antidepressant medications, exercise is often equivalent to that if you can, if you can wait that six-month time frame. If, if most people start on medications because it's early on that we worry they're going to stop eating or, or you know, or, or lose interest. But exercise is actually very good for reducing anxiety as well as depression. Is that because of the chemical changes when you, that, under, that undergo in the body and the brain when you work out? Right. So there's some, there's some studies I didn't prepare those for today, but there, you know, we often look at dopamine and serotonin receptors when we're, when we're looking at major depressive disorders or depression due to, you know, exaggerated grief. Um, and the studies support that anything that is stimulating those neurotransmitters and those synapses and exercise will do that because of the way it, it promotes circulation, because of there's actually some neurotrophic factors that are produced in our brain during exercise. And they also, again, difficult to measure in humans. It's been measured in animals. Um, that also shows improvement in um, depression and anxiety. So uh, very quickly, in the, in the couple of minutes we have left, because we've covered a lot of ground. Could you just give us a, like one or two, somebody's sitting there and they say, you know, I'd like to explore this more, uh, maybe check out some resources on the web that would give me some information. Did, could you recommend any? Um, sure. There's actually a lot of good web resources. Um, the National Institute of Health, um, and more specifically the National Institute on Aging, has a lot of good consumer as well as professional information on their webpage about fitness and fitness in, in an aging population. Um, specifically to Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's Association also is publishing more and more for consumers, whether it's caregivers. Actually, there's a great benefit for caregivers to get some respite and get out and exercise to handle that stress. So National Institute of Aging is a great source. Um, the Alzheimer's Association is a very good source for that. And even the American College of Sports Medicine is starting to list information. And, and, and American Heart Association, that's another good sort of consumer-based uh, website. The American Heart Association has a lot of good information about how to get started on a program and then how to, you know, what are the what are the assessments or what are the concerns that you need to have checked out before you start? Well, thank you, thank you. And, and actually, in our second segment to continue this theme today of health and wellness, uh, we're going to be talking to somebody who just created a brand new uh, web resource too on this. So, Barbara oh, Harrison, associate professor of nursing at Westchester University here in Greater Philadelphia, Westchester, the Rams, I think, right? 
Yeah, the Rams. The Rams, right, right, the Rams. I want to thank you, Barbara, very much. I wish you continued success, a a sweet and healthy new year. It's not still we can say that. And thank you very much for being our guest here on Boomer Generation Radio. Take care of yourself. Good luck in the future. Thank you, Richard. And we'll be uh, starting our second segment. I want to, uh, again, uh, mention a very good friend of the show, the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott. Uh, we've been talking to you about uh, Peter and his group uh, there over in southern New Jersey. Uh, we've been talking to you about uh, the Hecht Investment Group from Janney uh, for, for quite a few uh, months now. They provide, as we've mentioned, concierge financial consulting and planning services. Uh, Peter and his group use a formal investment process as a foundation. And uh, we know uh, and we've told you that clients do receive frequent communication as well as rapid response to their questions. And especially in this uh, rather interesting and I, I guess I can say volatile financial environment, there are few needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning. And Peter and his group provides experienced guidance as well as an efficient management process. And in, uh, additionally to all this, Peter and his team can assist you in connecting to the investment banking department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their financial strategic goals. So we invite you to contact the Hecht Investment Group toll-free. Their number is 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. And you can visit them as well at the hechtinvestmentgroup.com. The Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And, And Jenny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, as well as the SIPC. That's the Hecht Investment Group of Janie Montgomery Scott, 855-289-2168. And for our musical bridge to start this uh, year of 2016, found this uh, in the old, some old CDs of mine just trolling around here. It's an old Joni Mitchell song. I, but see how many of you remember. It's a great song. Two. 
butterscotch and stuff to all my senses. Oh, won't you stay? We'll put on a date and we'll talk in present tenses. When the curtain closes and the rainbow runs away, I will bring you incense hours by night, by candlelight, by jewel. This is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you again from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. We're streaming live on WWDBAM.com, and again, you can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com. Like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page, and for the podcast of all the shows, Go to uh, my website, www.jewishsacredaging.com, and just uh, look for the podcast section. And we are very pleased and delighted, I hope, through the magic of electronics and our producer, Tony, to welcome Joy Weinberg to the show. Joy, are you there? I am, and I very much enjoyed listening to Joni Mitchell's Chelsea Morning. Yeah, it's a, I, it's a great album. I actually think that's going to be the July CD because it's a, including one of my favorite, favorite songs on there, The Circle Game. But um, from many, many memories, Camp Harlem and anyway, let's, let's not get into that. Joy Weinberg, publisher, editor-in-chief of Honest Health News. Welcome. Welcome to Boomer Generation Radio, Joy. Nice to, nice to speak with you. Um, lots of, it's amazing. The theme today really worked out on issues of health and wellness. Uh, Barbara Harrison, this nurse, um, a professor of nursing at a local university who does a lot of uh, research and work in exercise and issues of um, memory care on our first mm-hmm. segment. Uh, and then you're coming on, and we want to talk about this very, very exciting new enterprise that you're dealing with, um, Honest Health News website. I guess the first question, Joy, is um, what brought you to do this? What what was the motivating factor to get you in to start this rather um, uh, diverse and a very full-body works uh, uh, website? Lot, lots of information on this. What what drove you to this? Well, let, let, me, let me start by saying that um, Honest Health News is it's an independent, evidence-based, healthy living web magazine. It's dedicated to helping middle-aged and older adults to make educated, wise decisions to improve their health grounded in solid scientific evidence. And we really go thorough. We distinguish ourselves um, in going thorough and being nuanced and not simplistic. And we really try to tell the full picture. And what got me started with this was was actually my my own experience. I uh, I started addressing issues of health at a, that uh, at a younger age. I saw everyone on my mother's side of the family 
uh, went uh, went through breast cancer, and they uh, it was it was not a pretty picture. And I uh, and they did quote unquote everything right. They had their yearly mammograms and self exams and uh, and all of that. And it seemed that you know they they were they were almost destined to um, to have this cancer and then uh, and then to undergo a very tough period of time. And as a young woman, I vowed that I was going to try to establish a different path for myself. And at that time, we're going back a number of decades here. There were really only two choices. There was the there, there was the traditional med- um, Western medicine approach, which which all of my relatives had followed, and then there was an alternative medicine approach. And um, in th- at that point, there wasn't kind of a middle ground that we have now, where there's a lot of evidence-based medicine that's uh, that really is about healthy living. At that point, a lot of it was you know very uh, very touchy feely, um, and, and not all correct. And so I did a lot of things that. Uh, that turned out to be uh, very good and protective. For example, I was eating five uh, servings of produce a day long before kale became the new black. Um, <laughs> but on the other, but on the other hand, I um, studies came out saying antioxidants were good for you, and so I was taking um, vitamin A um, supplements in in high quantities because that was supposed to be protective. Well, you know, years later it comes out that in fact I'm taking vitamin A actually increases your chances of getting cancer. And I, st- and I began to realize that getting my news and information secondhand was not really contributing to my health at all. I mean, in some ways it was helping, but in some ways I was actually hurting myself. And I realized that the same thing was true of the friends and family and lots of people that I knew where bits and, and bits and pieces of information were coming through and now even more so uh, with the web and social media and what's really true. You know, how much can you really trust? And, and the only way to know that is to really dig into the, into the evidence, into the, into the, the scientific studies and speak to the experts who are really the experts in the field. And so I started Honest Health News so that people would have a resource where they could improve their health grounded solely in scientific information that would really, that they could feel confident in would help them to, to lead a healthier life. So the, let's get to the, 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 the reality of the website. Somebody wants to take a look at this website. How do they, you know, what do they, what do they click? Um, they go to honesthealthnews.org. Again, that's honesthealthnews.org. And uh, there's, there's a few different ways that they can uh, really delve into it. The, a very good way is the, the lead story right now is called Can You Ace the 2015 Healthy Living Quiz? Right. This is, a very, this is a very tough quiz, Richie. And most, you know, most people will not be able to ace it. But that's not really the point. The point is, is that it, it it covers some of the most important things that we've learned about, about healthy living in 2015. For example, how, how much exercise do we really need uh, for optimal human health? And if, we, and if we get slightly less exercise, how will it improve our health? What, uh, how much will it improve our, uh, our chances in terms of not getting, not getting heart disease or cancer or so diabetes? What? Well, that, that, that came up actually in our previous discussion. So uh, in, on the Healthy Living Quiz, which is the lead story on your website, 
what's the uh, if, if I answered uh, 30 minutes a day for five days a week, would I would I pass? Uh, for the first for the first question. For the uh, how much exercise do I need? Uh, no, you would you would not pass on the first question. You would on the second. It's interesting, and and, and the tr- the truth is is that um, the American College of Sports Medicine um, has made public its its guide its guidelines uh, for physical for physical activity for human uh, health, and the general guidelines are exactly what you just said, Richard. Uh, 150 minutes a week, and the reason for that is that. Um, that is associated with up to a 50% uh, de- decrease or, or reduced risk of heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's wonderful, and it's also associated with an additional two years of, of longevity. Um, however, uh, what we did is we went then to the, the researcher, um, Dr. Carol Garber, who was the lead author on the paper that led to the physical activity guidelines set for the United States and said, okay, we understand that this, that, you know, that this is, these are the guidelines that you helped set from your research, you and your colleagues' research, but let's be honest and, and ask the question, is this the ideal amount of exercise for, for human health? And the answer is no, it's actually higher than that. Uh, for those um, readers, listeners out there who are already exercising and might be open to additional physical activity, the ideal appears to be about five hours a, um, a week of, uh, of moderate aerobic exercise. Moderate meaning something that feels fairly, fairly light to, to somewhat hard. Break a sweat, yeah. in other words. Yeah, a little bit of sweating. Not a lot. Even... You know, we're not talking about vigorous exercise. We're talking about walking. Right, right, right. Anything that anything that you enjoy. Two hours a week, huh? Five, five, in fact, five (laughs) hours, five hours a week. Now that's 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 a lot for for a lot of people. But now, but here we're talking about we're talking about the optimal that Mm -hmm. we that we know of for human health. And the and that's why the Amer- partly why the American College of Sports Medicine hasn't really broadcast that number so far so much because it it could be very intimidating to people. And but the other thing is true as well because as much as they've done research on on, on exercise and the the best amounts, they they've also looked at very small amounts of exercise. So they have found that ten minutes, just ten minutes of continuous activity, will also Help your metabolism. So, so oh, go ahead. Starting small and you know, and building up in small increments is greatly um, Im- improving of one's health. So, Joy, you talk about you know you mentioned evidence-based um, you know health um, news magazine. Just in this conversation, you know, you say you, we went to this person. Went to, how do you? You, the website is the, the 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 home page of I guess you would call it uh, of of your of your website is very very um, intense. It has a lot of stuff in there. Do you yourself or do you have a group of people who are helping you delve into the research and go to the experts and evaluate the evidence? How how do you do this? So somebody who goes to this website and say I. I now have understanding that the information I'm getting here has really been re- fully researched and vetted. Right. 
Do you right, do that well, by yourself, I, or you? I do. I do. I do that level of work by myself. I have other people who help me in other in other aspects of the work. But I like to make sure. In fact, when I even when I interview the experts, such as Carol Garber, um, who set the the physical activity guidelines, I'm doing my own research even before I uh, I interview her, um, because because I want readers to get the fullest possible picture, the most nuanced picture that is out there. So, for example, in that interview with her about ideal physical activity, there's um, there was a study that came out just. Um, two weeks before our interview in which researchers um, disagreed with the finding of five hours for optimal exercise for human health. They um, they had done all this analysis and said the number should be even higher. Wow. And they, and, and, and they found that it was almost twice as much that was most protective for, um, for heart disease. Uh, so I spoke to her about her and I to her and I said, "Hey, what about you know what about this research?" Wow. And her and her point her point is, and it's a very important one, is that a single study does not make um, does not make science. You need to repeat studies over and over and over again in order to make sure that um, that the results you're getting are correct. And 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 the truth is too is that sometimes. Um, inconsistencies are, are a reflection of the fact that all human beings are not the same. So that even if, like we're talking now, that 150 minutes um, of exercise a week can, in general, um, reduce your risk of, um, of heart disease and diabetes and some cancers, particularly breast and prostate and colon cancer, which have been studied the most. Um, that is that is true on average, but there will be you know a small percentage of the people who are listening to this station for whom less exercise will work just as well, and there'll be a percentage for which uh, for whom more exercise would be needed to reach that. We're we're all a little bit different, and and we're all talking about averages. Right, right, and but, and that's important to the the individualization and different bodies and different experiences and different. Uh, Lifestyles. We're speaking with Joy Weinberg, the publisher and editor-in-chief of Honest Health News. We'll be back with Joy to conclude our segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to Boomer Generation Radio here on WWDB AM 860 in Greater Philadelphia and WWDBAM.com. We're streaming on that. We're speaking with Joy Weinberg, publisher, editor-in-chief of Honest Health News, a very, very intense, dense, and fully packed, jack action-packed website dealing with um, – Health news and evidence-based uh, research. Joy, the, so many people now, it's New Year's, uh, have made that resolution. Darn, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go on the diet. 
And you have right. a very interesting a- a article here uh, on the website about dieting mistakes. Talk to me a little bit about some of the research you found about dieting. Okay. Well, the, the, the most important thing that I can say to, um, to your listeners out there is do not try to stick to a diet that is really so difficult for you that you hate it in the process of doing it because it will not last. Last. The research shows that that people who lose weight and in, enjoy the process of losing weight, by which I mean that they are doing it at their own comfort level, are most likely to be able to keep the weight off. And what and how do you enjoy losing weight when you're consuming fewer calories? You need you need to be very you have to kind of um, be very clever about it. You need to figure out what is going to work for you to not be hungry all the time and and to be able to put those you know those, those kind of cravings in check. And the same the same principle that might work for me um, will not work for you, Richard, or work for you know for a different listener out there. So we all need to be very conscious of of our bodies. Um, a, a good rule of thumb is to try to eat um, extra protein because protein is the most filling of all the um, nutrients, and it's also particularly important to the baby boomer generation. Uh, I want to point out that this is this is an area that a lot of people are not aware of, that the RDA for protein is too low for um, for older adults, for adults um, 65 and, and older. Um, the original studies that were done that established the RDA were done on young men in their 20s. RDA and is what? RDA is what? Uh, the Joy. recommended daily allowance okay. or, or your daily value. Thank you very much. And... And so the original studies were, were done on young men in their 20s, and it's been in the last 10 years or so that researchers worldwide have recognized that the same principles of what you need in your 20s are not necessarily true in your 60s. In fact, when you get to be about 55 years old, uh, that's when the, um, the things start to turn and you're, you start to lose muscle mass and you're losing about 6% uh, a decade. And over time, if you're not um, doing things to reverse that process, both in terms of diet and strength building, then uh, many adults over time will, will, um, will have what's called sarcopenia, which is um, basically the age-related, age-related losses of, of muscle mass, and that leads to weakness and to falls and, and premature um, dying. So... It's very important to get enough uh, enough protein, and so protein serves both purposes for you know the baby boomer generation. It's very filling, which helps us to not overeat, and it also um, strengthens the muscles that we need uh, in order to continue to do our day to day living. So you know, again, the, one of the, again the themes of today, both with you and Barbara, is you know diet, good, good watch what you eat, and keep moving, exercise. One of the things I wanted to ask you before we start running out of time in this segment is you have a segment on a section on the um, 
on the Honest Health News uh, homepage, uh, leading to a discussion about uh, yoga, meditation. I got to ask you about this. This is becoming more and more um, discussed in popular press. I know many of friends of mine who swear by meditation. And talk to me a little bit about how meditation of various types fits into a, um, a healthy living healthy lifestyle aspect, especially for boomers? Well, I'm not an expert on, on meditation, but but one of the things I, I do know from interviewing one of the top preventative cardiologists uh, in, the, in the nation is that meditation has actually been shown to help um, help prevent heart disease, um, in, in, in including with uh, many other aspects of a healthy lifestyle. Because when we reduce stress in our bodies, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're, our bodies function better. And as we function better, then we, uh, well, I, I can't give you the, the physiology of it, but I can tell you that there actually has been significant research showing that meditation does help in, um, in reducing the number of heart disease events. And I think that that's true for, um, for other things as well, but I, I, that's, that's a subject I, I hope to be diving into in the, in the future. Well, yeah, because on, on, on your site, you, you, you have this rather, you know, very interesting article citing various studies about pain and yes. the use of yoga to alleviate pain, joint pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, to me, and that's, that, and that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was fascinated to learn that uh, now in, we're no longer in a world, as I was um, in, indicating a couple of well, a number of years back, where there's this disparity between evidence, you know, the evidence-based of kind of natural um, things like yoga and and health. I mean, the National Institute of Health, not not exactly a you know a groundbreaking you know, innovative. Um, institution that's you know on the cusp. They themselves are um, um, authored a um, produced a, a Twitter chat that I attended that that talked about the various studies of how yoga can um, can help with joint pain, with back pain. Um, it's you know, it's it's fascinating, and and they themselves are the ones who are leading reporters to the studies and saying, look, this is this is really helpful. Um, yoga is also very helpful with arthritis pain. Now, it's interesting with arthritis; it's it, it's counterintuitive, but movement actually helps with arthritis pain. So it's hard to really separate out with the studies: is it the yoga per se, or is it the fact that there is movement in yoga that's helping with the arthritis? But but nonetheless, when the studies have been conducted, um, the the participants who are uh, in the yoga control group, as opposed to those who are on the waiting list for yoga, report um, rather significantly reduced pain, and that's uh, that, that's wonderful to um, to see. Joy, what, what do you think that this uh, breaking down of the barriers about you know, for what we used to call Eastern religions, but you know, uh, alternative medicine or meditation yoga? Why why do you think this is becoming part of our everyday conversation and are the boomers driving this is it a really a greater expo- um, exposure to different types of approaches to health and wellness uh, all of the above what's your experience your what's your perception yeah i think it's all of the i think it's all of the above and you know and and in, 
in a younger in a younger generation this was all new and mm-hmm. then the next generation came up and this this was what they were this is what they were used to this is what their their parents were doing this is this this was the culture and then as the culture uh, then when it, when the culture was endemic, then the study started coming out to actually explore, well, is, you know, is, is there, you know, is there real scientific evidence for this? And, and then it turns out that there is. And, and how wonderful is that? So that there doesn't have to be this unnatural separation between East and West. And in fact, we can, we, we can bring together the best of, of both and, more and more places are are using the words integrative, right. integrative or complementary uh, medicine, because there's a recognition finally that that there is a place for all of these treatments and and they they support one another. So, for example, um, with exercise, exercise when we talk about depression, um, it's really interesting that. Um, that exercise plus antidepressants has been shown to be much more effective in treating um, um, depression right. than than antidepressants or exercise alone. Now, of course, again, we're talking about on average and not for every single individual. We don't know. But the truth is, is that there's a lot that we can do um, to improve our lives naturally and that but it really is based on the on the scientific evidence, and that's just wonderful. We have about a minute left. I just want to again give us the how to contact the um, Honest Health News site. How do we do that? Sure, sure. So the best way is to go to www.honesthealthnews.org, and I'd just like to, to finish off by saying to readers, you really can improve and and change change your health. Like, you know. The, there are people out there who think that uh, twin studies uh, that uh, that that believe that that they can't change their health, but the twin studies show that there's only a 30% chance that if one twin has heart disease, then the other twin will have it. We have tremendous power to change our lives, and we do so one one small step at a time. And I wish everyone a very healthy new year. Thanks a lot, Joy. Uh, good good to speak with you, publisher and editor in chief of Honest Health News, honesthealthnews.org. Joy Weinberg. Thanks a lot, Joy. Take care, everyone. See you next week on Boomer Generation. Radio. Radio.